0: Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? This is Ben Kissel, and I am hanging out with Travis Morningstar yes. in beautiful San Diego. This has been a great little trip so far. We had an awesome show last night in Oakland. People were dope. Uh, that crowd was incredible. That theater was in- amazing, wasn't beautiful it? Beautiful theater. Um, the, the Fox Theater. The Fox Theater it's called.
1: Taking a look at the Citizens app uh, during the show <laughs> was really something to behold, though. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of bludgeon and uh, uh, apparently, a shooting
0: outside the theater at some point in the in the vicinity of the theater. Yes, there was a shooting. I don't believe it was one of our fans that were shot. I hope not, and I hope everyone was safe. But the show. In Oakland, (laughs) other than the extracurricular activities that go on outside of the show in Oakland, the show itself was absolutely wonderful. So thanks so much for coming out to that. uh, that. I am excited for today's episode. A little bit later on, we have an interview with Mary Ann Williamson. Uh, Of course, she is the Democratic presidential candidate. She'll be on the stage on CNN. I believe it's uh, either the 30th or the 31st. I didn't watch the draw that CNN had to determine which candidates would be speaking on which night. The way that CNN is operating when it comes to the Democratic debates does remind me of, like, let's make a deal. It seems like it should be hosted by a game show host. So
1: you think you can be a Democratic candidate.
0: (laughs) It is, like, so reality show-esque. It's like one of these people, they're going to get a rose. They're going to love it. Uh, So anyway, Marianne Williamson, she's been in the news recently because she had some... Uh, she had to clear some things up regarding her being a so-called anti-vaxxer she talks about that she says she is not she is not an anti-vaxxer she says she believes in science and I think Travis will back me up on this uh, for the critics of her and obviously uh, when it comes to should she be president or not that's a conversation we're having right now as an American people but I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah,
1: she's been she's been sort of portrayed as this caricature of the uh, Sonoma Valley mom, Sonoma yeah. mom, the, or like even a Sedona psychic. Yes. I would even go to say yes. Uh, but yeah, in this interview, she I really thought she sounded very self aware. Yeah, and uh, she knows exactly uh, what people think of her, and totally. also she isn't. She's trying to. Sort of respond to that in the most sensible, sort of clear-headed way, and she's she's yeah. and honestly, she's responding with it, responding with compassion and understanding, which is all a very strange thing for someone to do when Especially they're when now. they're being a uh, sort of attacked.
0: In a public arena like this. Absolutely. So stay tuned for that interview. Uh, I think at the very least, you will be surprised, perhaps impressed by Marianne Williamson. So I am excited that we were able to get her on the show. But before we get to that, we have a few things to talk about. Obviously, this week has been just uh, truly awful for the American psyche, specifically when it comes down to race relations. We're going to talk about Donald Trump's send them back tweet regarding the group of four freshman congresswomen uh, they're calling themselves or people are calling them the squad which is sounds like it's created by Paul Heyman uh, of the WWE it sounds like they're they're like a coalition of like badass female wrestlers but they're not these are congresswomen and the way we discuss politics in this country I thought we could get smarter. It seems like we may be going the other direction.
1: Yeah, it's embarrassing when you have, when you like
0: call your clique, you
1: give it like a nickname. Yeah, it's literally like Degeneration
0: X. It's like the NWO from WCW. We're the squad. Do they enter uh, with theme music and plumes of smoke? We don't know yet. Uh, But nonetheless, They were in the news, specifically Ilhan Omar. Uh, Donald Trump sent out a tweet being like, hey, you four congresswomen, uh, he's like, go back to where you came from. Of course, three out of four were born in the United States. Ilhan Omar uh, was the only one that was not born in the United States. She came from Somalia as a refugee. We're also going to talk about Donald Trump's plans for refugees next year. How many refugees will the Trump administration... Let in. We're going to talk about that (laughs) because the number is shockingly low one could argue it's not a number at all sure. it's actually a placeholder sure so we will talk about that um but when it comes to donald trump's most re- recent uh, pep rally racist rally in many ways certainly when the crowd decided to chant send her back send her back in the same sort of cheerleader style that they said lock her up lock her up it should have sent chills down everyone's spine. Uh, but of course, Donald Trump, the chill that was sent down his spine was actually a bit warmer uh, than his usual temperature, which is pure and utter cold. So what happened here is Donald Trump psychologically, politically fracturing our country. You know, we're, we're coming, we've come together. We've come a long way as a country. But we still have fault lines in this country that, as we saw with earthquakes that happened in L.A. just recently, we still have fault lines that can be shook at any time when a political earthquake hits. And that's exactly what Donald Trump is preying on, playing on, and uh, allowing or catering Uh, to his audience when it comes to racial fracturing of our country in the guise of immigration under the guise of immigration in reality this is simple 101 race bait politics say what you want about Donald Trump but this is one thing he's very good at so Donald Trump is giving his pep rally. And of course the, the crowd as I don't know if these people are just like totally hammered or if there's, I don't know if they sell concessions and booze at these Trump pep rallies, but everyone was certainly acting like a drunken sailor as they began to chant, send her back, which of course is playing on a classic american racist cliche which is go back where you came from yeah. now in this country we are a nation of immigrants despite the fact what the alt right might say specifically people like gavin mckinnis uh the douchebag leader of the proud boys um gavin McGinnis, of course is someone who would say and people of his ilk say this is not a nation of immigrants and of course what i would say to gavin at that point is you're canadian You are definitive proof that this is a nation of immigrants. The difference is my father, for example, also an immigrant. The difference is the pigmentation of our skin. Ilan Omar, when we talk about immigration, we are talking about brown immigration. That's just the facts. Immigration is being used as a catch-all to get your people, to get people engaged for racist reasons. So basically what happened here is Donald Trump he let them chant, send her back, send her back for 13 seconds. He says a day later, perhaps Ivanka got to him or something. He says a day later, I think that was horrible what they said. I, I tried to stop it. I tried to talk as fast as possible. Which he, which is untrue. It's I mean, just untrue. If you watch
1: the video, he may he may as well have come out and did a, a Sinead O'Connor and like ripped a picture in half of, of Ooh, Omar, Omar's face. Yeah. That would have brought down him. like a pinata or an effigy of, I mean, he didn't. Well, he's done –
0: remember that that ruined Sinead O'Connor's career when she was on SNL and she ripped up the picture of the Pope. And honestly, it was so cool. It was cool. It was so cool. Because the Pope is the leader of the largest pedophile ring in human history. uh, And she had her career ruined. And Donald Trump, uh, for doing things, in my opinion, that are far worse, was able to be president of the United States. So that had everyone – in a, uh, in a frenzy. You know, the media was going crazy with it, as you would expect that they do. But really, what is going on here and how is this going to affect the 2020 campaign? Donald Trump, what he wants to do is keep the hyper focus on the new, more uh, farther left-leaning, new democratic Congress members. So he focuses on these four. Obviously, they're all further to the left than the mainstream of the party. Um, As we've talked about before, Democrats, uh, there's still a massive contingency of moderate Democrats, but they want to paint the entire party in the context of AOC, of Ilhan. And again, those politics should certainly be taken into consideration. And as far as a bargaining chip, as far as a beginning of negotiations, I think it's a good place to freaking start. Yeah. And then maybe you end up center left left uh, maybe even get a little bit more left, um, than some people in the American population, uh, would like. But I think those policies that they're proposing are a good negotiating start point. Ask for everything you want and see if you can't get a lot of the things you actually need. So he wants to paint the entire democratic party as these four women, it's. I don't believe it's a coincidence that they're women. I don't believe it's a coincidence uh, that they're folks of color. I don't believe that it's a coincidence uh, that they have actively disavowed the vast, vast majority of Donald Trump's agenda. This, this is his strategy going forward in 2020. This is sealing up that base, which doesn't seem to matter what he says, they go along with it, and he goes along with them, which also has to be stressed here. Donald Trump goes along with his base. Who is the leader? Is, is the tail wagging the dog here? There's certainly an aspect of that, and you see that with every one of these pep rallies.
1: Yeah, no, every anything that his crowd endorses he leans into he leans in he does
0: he's he's like this sort of
1: chaotic evil that actually has no purpose other than to go where the anger and go where the that energy is. So he has no real, he has no real values. His only thing is that he's, he's extremely chaotic and goes with the, goes with the, his base. And he is, uh, he knows how to exploit people. He knows how to exploit weaknesses. Mm. And so he sees the left doing what they do best, which is completely ravaging themselves.
0: And for some freaking reason, I don't know who was in charge of the, uh democratic party's twitter uh they just clapped back against aoc's campaign manager um please god stay focused democratic party this is not once you get a president in office then you can have these conversations stay focused and get someone in office because without that happening, it doesn't matter how much you bicker with one another because you have no power in government. What are we supposed to
1: think when the...
0: The DNC's Twitter account is saying stuff like, keep your name out my mouth. I have no idea what's going on. I don't know who's running it. Tom Perez needs to step down as the head of the DNC. Uh, the entire thing needs to be completely revamped with completely new people. Uh, their Twitter needs to be taken away from their 13-year-old children who are evidently running it. The entire thing needs to be refocused, and that focus needs to be on defeating Donald Donald Trump. I don't understand how that man is able to skate the the grasp and the ire of the democratic party somehow the democratic party is too busy fighting with their allies uh, than fighting with a man uh who is saying and doing exceptionally anti-american things in this case specifically when it comes to immigration 65% Of Americans did say that Donald Trump's tweet was racist. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was in the poll of polls. Now, my only concern with that is obviously you have CNN and MSNBC being like, hey, look at this 65% of people, 65% of Americans say this is racist. My only concern, so then, of course, they're drawing from that a conclusion that therefore they disagree with Donald Trump. Right. My only concern is the 35 that say it's not racist are Trump supporters who don't want to feel as if they're racist, so they do mental acrobats uh, and they say it's about it's about policy, yeah. of course. Send her back. That's about her stance on Israel, of course. Um. But then you also have the 65%. I wouldn't be surprised if 20% of that 65% said, yeah, it's racist. That's why I like it. Yeah, it's racist with a giant (laughs) grin on their face. (laughs) Exactly. So to infer that somehow that means that Donald Trump is losing this debate, I would think is a little bit of a miscalculation because in today's America, being called racist, being racist has now been so normalized that people wear it as a badge of honor.
1: CNN had uh, Richard Spencer on as a white nationalist correspondent recently. Of of
0: course, why wouldn't you have Richard (laughs) Spencer on? We're
1: sort of just like, that's that's just uh, another another, uh, opinion to count.
0: So that is what's going on in the verbal dispute, which obviously is extremely valid and extremely important. But let's go on a little bit and talk about how Donald Trump's uh extreme extreme views on immigration George Wallace-esque extreme views on immigration is actually going to affect people seeking asylum in this country. And again, we are a nation of immigrants. We are supposed to be a beacon for those who are fleeing war-torn countries. We're supposed to be a beacon of hope for the world. And Donald Trump has certainly um, put put a damper or turned the lights down or put some water on the flame of the Statue of Liberty. Stephen Miller. So Stephen Miller, he is going to be in Donald Trump's ear. Yes, that's Stephen Miller, the big headed man that looks as if he's from. Uh, remember the show on MTV called The Brain? Yes. He looks like the brain, yes, although he has none in that head of his. It just happens to be large. He also looks like the creature from
1: Seaman from that uh, Sega Dreamcast. Yeah. Game. yeah. He looks like the creature that you can turn that,
0: you can evolve your fish into. Of, well, why wouldn't you want to? Stephen Miller, of course, a, an avowed member of the alt-right. He's a, this is not hyperbole either. And I know we have some Republicans to listen or maybe some Trump supporters, but this just is the reality specifically when it comes to Stephen Miller. I don't say these things about Jared Kushner I don't say these things about other people I disagree with politically, Stephen Miller truly is out of the, um, he comes straight out of the Steve Bannon wing of political thought, of conservative thought. He is Steve Bannon 2.0, although I don't believe he wears two button down shirts. So he will be advising the president on immigration, specifically when it comes to folks who are seeking asylum. So, Homeland Security Department officials, they have flo- floated the idea of setting the level of folks who can come here seeking asylum anywhere from 3,000 to 10,000 people. That is, again, not the crazy liberal Homeland Security Department. This is HSD here, which in no possible world is some open borders, free love, you know, hippie Birkenstocks, listening to fish organization. Right. Their conservative assessment says 3,000 to 10,000 people should be allowed to seek asylum in this country next year. Stephen Miller has floated a bit of a different idea saying that we should have zero. Literally the number, which is not a number, is zero. So the proposal for a near near shutdown of the refugee program has been alarming uh, officials at the Department of Defense who don't want to see a halt in admissions of Iraqis who risk their lives assisting U.S. forces in that country. The possible move comes after the Trump administration cut refugee admissions by a third this year to just thirty thousand, and I think that is a point that we really have to hit home on.
1: You know, what? I'll I'll say the one of the positive side effects of uh, enforcing something like that, the zero percent refugee thing, was that uh, there would probably be less far right domestic terrorism. Could be it would it would stop the white domestic terrorists of the country Absolutely. from uh,
0: becoming frenzied. Terrorism is not branded to one race although in this country we have branded it to one race of course folks of middle eastern descent but white domestic terrorism you look at all these mass shootings that are going on on a regular basis my god it is absolutely disturbing and frankly as a society the fact that's not a political wedge issue is slightly shocking
1: yeah we have like a secret white nationalist jihad
0: going on across the country people i mean i know so i i spoke with one man in a bar who was too conservative for trump he said (laughs) he didn't support donald trump because he wasn't conservative enough so there are sections there are militias in this country that really are uh dangerous in many many ways but when it comes down to the refugee crisis, I love, I just want to hit on that point from the Department of Defense, talking about the Iraqi civilians, talking about Iraqis who helped the United States, um, whether it even be or, or Syrians who helped the United States. Uh, we have so many people across the country, Afghanis who helped the United States. We have so many people across the world that have helped us in our Wars in the Middle East and the idea that the U.S. would say, I'm sorry, we're closed, we don't welcome you here. What is the incentive for those people to continue to help the United States and to feel as if anyone has their back? They're totally damned if they do, damned if they don't. And when we talk about this refugee crisis, when we talk about this immigrant crisis, it is not black and white. There are people who desperately need to seek asylum. Many of those people, well-educated individuals, many of them in Iran, there's a brain drain going on right now. There has been ever since the Shah was replaced. A brain drain happened in Syria. A brain drain happened in Iraq. And of course, by that, I mean the professors, the scientists, the doctors. They were like, we're getting the hell out of here. And we have an option to take them in this country or have them go someplace else and have their skills utilized by different governments and helping uh, to help their to help their society. So this I did, this binary thinking when it comes to immigration is extremely wrongheaded. It's straight up bad economic policy, not to mention insanely, completely, and utterly inhumane. So just want to talk about that in the context of Ilhan Omar. Of course, that story I did not see at all on MSNBC or CNN and certainly did not see on Fox News as they desperately attempt to make it seem like send her back is just normal American political chatter is this racist is this they're asking a lot of questions that's what Fox does that's what Fox does Getting from point A to point B means spending more time waiting than moving. If you're sick of waiting to get where you're going, let Boosted give you a lift. Boosted's vehicle-grade electric skateboards and scooters are the modern solution for your transportation woes. With a 22-mile range and max speeds of 24 miles per hour, Boosted is perfect for both running to the store and traveling across town. Designed to provide a luxurious experience, it's no wonder that Boosted was one of time magazine's best inventions of 2018 with five options to pick from including their new scooter the boosted rev there's a personal electric vehicle that's tailor-made for you starting at 61 dollars a month with financing there's no better time to change how you move than now Right now, Boosted is offering our listeners $75 off the first purchase of an electric vehicle when you use the code TOPHAT at checkout. Go to BoostedBoards.com and use the code TOPHAT at checkout to get $75 off your vehicle. That's BoostedBoards.com, promo code TOPHAT at checkout for $75 off. If you're a business owner, you know your time is precious. Here at The Last Podcast Network, we're always looking for ways to make things easier and save time and money. That's why instead of wasting time waiting in traffic, parking and lugging all of our merch packages and business mail to the post office, we use Stamps.com. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. post office right to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping, out products or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day stamps.com can handle all of it with ease simply use your computer to print official u.s postage 24 7 for any letter any package any class of mail anywhere you want to send Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It's that simple. With Stamps.com, you get five cents off every first class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Not to mention it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving you time and money. It's no wonder over 700,000 small businesses like us already use Stamps.com. Right now, our listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Top Hat. That's Stamps.com. Enter Top Hat. I also want to talk about this situation happening in Pennsylvania. We've spoken about voting machines extensively. Of course, uh, we've had Dr. Robert Fitrakis on, um, talking about Diebold, talking about these companies that own the voting machines. There is a watchdog group. Uh, in Pennsylvania, or multiple watch go- watchdog groups, rather, in Pennsylvania, and they want to examine the elections voting machines. And of course, Pennsylvania, a pretty freaking crucial state when it comes to deciding the next president of the United States. So these watchdog groups are Citizens for Better Elections. Free Speech for People, Protect Our Vote Philly, and the National Election Defense Coalition. They filed a petition this past week requesting acting Secretary of State Kathy Bookvar examined the Express Vote XL. I love the way that we have to make our voting machines sound sad. <laughs> like, it's the Express Vote, extra large. Is it extra large? I don't, I didn't remember them being large or small or extra large. I don't know why as a country we always have to be like, it's big. Does it have a jacuzzi in the voting <laughs> booth? no what? idea. Yeah, bring your floaties, come and vote. It's the only jacuzzi, jacuzzi voting machine out so the groups are apparently asking the, the secretary to re-examine quote issue a report relating to the functionality of the system so we will keep you up to date on that um because again we talk about Russia all the freaking time and when it comes to our voting machines I am highly highly skeptical of course you have what happened in 2004 potentially where John Kerry had his win flipped Uh, in Ohio, giving the win to George W. Bush. Obviously, you know, there are a lot of people that say that's just conspiracy theory, but it did, what did happen, what we know happened was John Kerry was winning. They took the voting uh, machines down to a different state. Next thing you know, George W. Bush won the state. We need 101,000. Dare I say 1 million? I'm going to go 1 billion. Percent transparency when it comes to our voting machines, and that's why I think we have to go with the paper ballot. Yeah, or do it on a fruit roll-up or whatever. Whatever. It is. You're, yeah. Because of course, as we saw, even in the elections with Ted Cruz in Texas, uh, with when he was running against Beto. Uh, There was multiple reports and this actually happened to both sides. Some people said they voted for Ted and it came back as Beto and vice versa. Hmm. So there there is the fact that we don't have full confidence in our voting machines is like a massive problem for our so-called democratic Republic. So we will keep you up to date on what they find. And again, the deadline for that is December 31st. Let's see. And I do want to get to this interview now sooner than later, but just one more thing. And I guess next week I'll talk about uh, Pete Buttigieg, what happened in Indiana. Basically, a a child in Indiana, he was a 21-year-old, uh, he ended up dying from diabetes because he was rationing, rationing his insulin. Yeah. And of course, when you hear rationing, wasn't that what was supposed to happen? With like Obamacare, which has some deep flaws, but there are some good principles in it as well. But wasn't rationing what's gonna happen when Medicare for all takes over once the government takes over everything? It seems like rationing is happening now because a lot of people cannot afford to get their medication. Um, So anyway, Pete Buttigieg is uh, discussing that, and we have plenty of time in the future uh, to talk about his policies and all of their policies uh, because it's a long road ahead.
1: Uh, And, you know, going into the Marianne Williamson Interview, she talks sort of about the the country at at large, kind of experiencing this dirge of morals and and how the the entire system that governs uh, our society is kind of like corrupt and broken down and needs re engineered. I think taking the temperature of the country, it's nowhere more obvious than the way that we are treating children. Uh, in our country. Yeah. Look at the children in the cages and the migrant camps. Look at the way that... Well, just look at our education system. Well, also, I mean, just in terms of big stories, like, look at the way that Epstein's victims have been just completely ignored uh, up until this point. Uh, Refugees, like, half of the refugees that are coming from these other countries are children escaping war-torn areas. Many of them. Absolute disregard of of children's lives. You know,
2: like, if if
1: children are our future...
0: Then is our future this bleak cage dystopia? What are we teaching them? How are we? And that's the same thing with the crowds chanting, "Send them back, send her back." It's just crazy. It's just crazy. Like
1: children are (laughs) are really getting stomped on
0: in our current age. Which is the and what kind of adult does that make? What kind of yeah? You know what kind of adult does that make? Does it make someone who doesn't have compassion because they were never. They never felt compassion themselves. It's really how you make a sociopath.
1: Yeah, what kind of mad max world are we
0: setting ourselves Absolutely. Up? like a
1: bunch of master blasters? Because it's all it's all built-up resentments. And that, that's how you create I don't know, that's how you create terrorists as well. Like that's how you create uh this sort of like resentful Yep. At, at large, the
0: way we're treating children is like the same way that somebody would kick a dog in secret, you know? Oh, it's disgusting. And of course, you know, when it comes to The immigration theme that Donald Trump likes to put forward is they're anti-American, specifically, again, with Ilhan Omar. And this doesn't even matter about politics because I don't agree with all of her politics. I don't agree with anyone's uh, entirely politics. I'm sure no one agrees with all of my politics. Um, As long as you agree with a solid 70 percent or 60 percent, I think we're doing okay. Um, But just this idea that she hasn't assimilated. And I'm sitting here thinking she ran for Congress. What is the greater how like how much more does someone have to assimilate than to run to hold an office in
1: the government But asking these questions is exactly what Donald Trump does not care about. There is no nuance. He knows exactly well, he knows, he knows exactly the tone poem he needs to sort of put out there yeah. to evoke the emotions of his base and then liberal uh you know the democrats will say something like parsing a subject like that and say like no actually she's this or this or this and then donald trump just sort of grimaces and because he knows that none of that actually is no. communicated to and we're still, his
0: side and we're still only talking about these four people in the context of representing the entire democratic party and once again they do not um and also when it comes to jeffrey epstein just a quick update First of all, uh, it's going to get simply more disgusting. They're going to be releasing, I believe it was two thousand pages of documents uh, that are going to list the people that were at the parties with them. Obviously, we saw the tapes revealed from nineteen ninety two of Donald Trump and Epstein. You know, just dancing. I mean, everything seemed to be uh, just party boys having a party time. I guess, I uh, whatever it was. You know, it is what it is. Um, But this epstein case now of course he did not get granted bail but this trial is going to uh we're going to turn over a rock and we're going to see a lot of fucking slugs under there yeah
1: we're gonna well it's kind of cool it's like uh in in uh dragon ball z when you're basically like all the fights lead up to the bad guy fully expressing his power like frieza fully destroying a planet so i it, we're gonna we're about to see a um so a so-called billionaire flex his entire power and mm. To I try to, to try to manipulate reality around him, absolutely, to, and I, see what that does. Let's see how like how much influence this guy has. See how much apparently he only has five hundred million dollars. That's, oh, that's his net he's net worth. But I let's see what that kind of money can do to actual institutions and uh, it, an entire country watching well, the, the trial. God
0: knows we what we God knows we know what it has done in the past, and we'll see yeah. if the past is prologue in this case. Uh, um, didn't get the reference, but I also got the reference. You understand so what I'm saying, I, though, I know, right? Like, I know. I love it. That's why unleash, I liked it. unleash the power. See, you, you teach me so many things. Um, so anyway, and just lastly, uh, when it comes down to this disgusting vote by Rand Paul, of course, this was the Senate vote on 9-11 victims bill. Uh, Rand Paul, he said uh, he didn't like it because it wasn't fiscally responsible. Long story short, um, he and Mike Lee as well, these Freedom Caucus guys, these guys who pretend to be fr- fiscally responsible, only when it makes them look horrible, I don't <laughs> freaking know why uh, this would be the hill that he would like to die on. But the amendments presented by Lee and Rand Paul would authorize $10.2 billion for the fund over the next 10 years. It would authorize an additional $10 billion after that. So there will be another vote on this the agreement comes after paul blocked passage on the bill this past week saying he wanted an opportunity to vote on an, am- on an amendment that would offset the cost so this is what he had to say he said it has long been my feeling that we needed to address our massive debt in the country now of course they added trillions of dollars to the deficit they uh, which i know is not is different but it is they the audacity of Rand Paul to say that this is for fiscal responsibility is completely wrong and insane. So he goes on to say, and therefore, any new spending should be offset by cutting spending that's less valuable. We need to do that. Uh, at the very least, have this debate. A spokesperson for Paul later said, uh, "It is Paul is not blocking anything, adding that he is simply seeking a way to pay for it. So, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand and Senate Minority Leader Charles Schumer both thanked Lee for helping set up this agreement to vote on the bill, but specified that they will oppose the amendments from Lee and Paul. This is according to Kirsten Gillibrand, and of course, a presidential candidate herself. She says, I understand the 72 years is a recipe for trouble, but the truth is the timing is limited for this bill because these men and women aren't going to survive. So many of them are are already sick so there will be another vote uh this upcoming week to see if this bill passes i believe it will pass and i don't believe donald trump will veto it it just seems like Rand paul and mike lee needlessly halted this bill from passing faster
1: yeah i feel like uh everyone in the senate is just sort of like passing like, Oh, this time you have to um, deny the nine 11 first responders. It's they're passed they're, the buck on they, that. Yeah. They, well, cause they, I think, uh, McConnell was the last person who was responsible for, for knocking it back. And, and now they're just like, all right, Rand Paul, it's your turn. It's yeah. your turn to tell these people who are actively dying. Like it's one of the main guys who, uh, is sort of the advocate of the advocacy yeah. groups, It just died. It's and so it's so sad. You, you have he this just time too. crisis. Um, and it's crazy. Uh, wow. The I, I was listening to some interview with... This should have
0: happened. This should have happened September 12, <laughs> 2001. Yeah. It should have immediately been like anyone down there, they get healthcare for life.
1: This guy, John Feel, who he works with John Stewart this uh, in this thing called the Feel Good Organization. Okay. And they're, they're the ones that advocate for uh, first responders getting their medical bills paid. And right, he said. It's just, crazy he that said, needs an advocate. He said, it? just in the last year, he has got he had to travel to Washington three hundred times to make to make uh, his case with a bunch of different people. Oh. Imagine, I mean, we. It's, it seems like such a political winner. We just we just uh, almost got denied hotel rooms in San Diego, and we made one phone call. And it, we, we got, got our we got hotel, hotel rooms, <laughs> and imagine go, going to, to save people from <sighs> the wreckage of nine eleven, and then having to fight for what is it now?
0: Eighteen years. Eighteen years. Yeah, uh, it's get, unreal. It'll to be get your country. emphysema
1: or your cancer, or so
0: unbelievable. So unbelievable. Anyway, uh, John Stewart, kudos to you. Hats off. That's why John Stewart is forever goat when it comes to political commentary and when it comes to political activism. Uh, the Daily Show was truly good yeah. when he was hosting it, and we also truly had... Um, he dealt with, uh, life and death issues on a different level in many ways. Cause of course we were talking about the Iraq war and a whole series of things that led up to it. So, all right. Well, thank you all so much for listening to the show thus far. Now it is time for our interview with Mary Ann Williamson. I think you will enjoy it. All right, right now we are honored to have with us presidential candidate and uh, multiple-time author Mary Ann Williamson. Thank you so much for doing the show, Mary Ann. We really appreciate it.
3: Well, thank you for having me.
0: So you have a new book out right now called A Politics of Love. And I know you've been talking about politics of love for quite a while, obviously, in contrast to Donald Trump's politics of hate. How do you find that message resonating as you've been traveling all across the country now on your presidential run?
3: I find it resonating very, very well because we're good people. I'm not saying that Americans are better than other people, but we're as good as anyone else. I think America is filled with dignified, decent people on the left and on the right, people who just want to live good lives, live in integrity, live in character. I think what's happened in this country, though, is that the conversation about what it means to be a good person, what it means to forgive, what it means to be just, what it means to be kind, I think that we talk about that enough in our individual lives but we have stopped talking about it the way we need to in terms of whether or not the country is being good, right. whether or not public policy is good, whether or not public policy is just, whether or not public policy is, is, is even democratic or humanitarian. So I think that a dimension – of personhood, which is citizenship actually, people are awakening to the fact that we need to be participants in the larger conversation of what happens in the country. We have allowed politics to be a spectator sport. We've just kind of farmed out our conscience on issues of national behavior. And I think that there is very much a listening uh, that uh, that I find because people know this to be true. We're not stupid people. And we've been played. We've been fooled over the last few decades. But I think for a lot of people, there's a realization that we, to some extent, allowed this to happen. And I think there's a real quick awakening going on. And I'm glad to be harnessing that awakening as part of my campaign.
0: Absolutely. So would you say that was your main motivation for running uh, for president? Because obviously coming from uh, the field of of, uh, of writing, being an author, being a lecturer, um, being a spiritual guru in some ways, would you say that you're filling a void filling a vacuum that has yet to be filled in American politics, which is really a politician who is not just fighting for policy, but truly fighting for the soul of a country.
3: Well, I don't think so much that I am filling a vacuum so much as I am more like a tuning fork. Mm. One personality is like a tuning fork. But if the if the if the music wasn't already there, there wouldn't be anything to tune. Right. So there has been a vacuum in the political system, but not a vacuum at all in the country. The country's, we're good people. We're good people. So I'm just harnessing something that's already there. This isn't just about me. This is about the fact that I'm saying what everybody I know is saying. I'm just saying it when the microphone is on.
0: Why do you think there is such a disconnect between, because you're right, at the end of the day, people, uh, they love their families. They love their friends. Uh, I think that they think uh, they are good people. Uh, even, you know, someone who might support Donald Trump, despite the fact his rhetoric is now just heating up to uh parody George Wallace, uh the former governor of uh, of Alabama. It's George Wallace-esque rhetoric at this point where do you think the disconnect lies then from people being like I care for my family I care for my friends but then when it comes to politics they still like to point to others as the problem in this case immigrants immigrants have been uh in the crosshairs of this uh, uh, president uh, ever since July 2015 when he rolled down that escalator and called Mexicans rapists and, and thieves and and everything else under the sun why do you think that Disconnect occurs from someone being good, but then also allowing themselves to um, really cater uh, or allow themselves to be catered to by someone like Donald Trump.
3: Well, the problem is moral. But the cause of the problem is economic. Mm. Back in the 1980s, when trickle down economics sort of corrupt began to corrupt our government and right. hijacked our value system, we bought in as a culture and we bought in politically as well as socially to the idea that all that the American government uh, was responsible for was supporting corporations in increasing their stockholder value. Right. That somehow, if that stockholder value was increased, it would trickle down to everyone else and it would lift all boats. Obviously, it does not lift at all boats. It's right. millions and millions of people without a life vest. Anytime you see large groups of desperate people, two, large groups of people living in survival mode, there is a level of of societal dysfunction which is almost inevitable. Mm. It gave rise to Hitler. Uh, it has, It gave rise uh, to, uh, to uh, terrorism in different parts of the world. It gave rise to the desperate... Um, uh, efforts to walk across the desert in order to leave uh, Honduras, El Salvador, uh, Guatemala, where conditions of, of violence and horror made it difficult for people to even live any longer. Right. And I think it contributed as well to the the confusion among so many Americans who became just desperate to do whatever might be possible to unrig that system. Yes. And that trickle-down economic system, uh, economic uh, um, philosophy did in fact lead to the rigging of the systems. Right. Because it led us to a situation where our government does more now to advocate for short term profits for huge corporations than it does to advocate for us. And yes. that the, the 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 disconnection from moral principles then arose from the fact that it was so connected to short-term economic principle at the expense of our humanitarian values. which right. just all literally went to hell from there.
0: So you mentioned the word rigging, and uh, that reminds me of what happened in 2016 regarding how the Russians uh, pr- played the American people and preyed upon our fractured culture. I know at a um, – so number one, what would you do to confront – uh, Putin and Russia, because at this point, it seems as if, as if Donald Trump is is uh, just hell bent on buddying up uh, to the Kremlin. How would you address the issue? of cyber intervention in U.S. elections, specifically in regards to Russia?
3: Well, first thing, I would make it clear to the American people, and I would make it clear to the world, that I believe the U.S. intelligence agencies on this issue, uh, that there is a unanimous agreement there that the Russians both... Uh, messed with us last time and are messing with us again. Yeah. That here is a lot of force right there. And I would give uh, my full support of the executive branch, branch, uh, two ideas proffered me, uh, that I agreed with by the, uh, intelligence agencies for ways, ways to deal with this, including cybersecurity, of course. In addition to that, I would meet with the people who both founded and, uh, operate our tech agencies such as, uh, Facebook to find out not only what they know, what they plan to do, because right. they, clearly, they clearly failed us. We know that they failed us, and uh, we need them to not fail us going forward. And they need to hear from the President of the United States that we expect it to be very different this time. And right. most importantly, I will have a very serious conversation with the American people. And that is that the American people hold the power. The American people are the only real wall of defense. And that's that each and every one of us have to think long and hard about what we're reading. Right. We have to to realize you cannot know who wrote it. You know, I'm going through something right now, which is, uh, had me thinking this morning. Uh, the, the word is out on the street with all of this stuff that I'm anti-science and anti-vax. Right. Now, there's just nothing. I've, first of all, there's nothing I've ever said or written that would indicate I'm anti-science. And even on the vax issue, I'm not anti-vaccine. I'm pro larger conversations within the society about a lot of things, including the independent, uh, independent nature of scientific research. Mm-hmm. But this, this unbelievable wave of she's anti-vax, she's anti-science, she's anti-vax, she's anti-science, right. I've thought to myself, what is, what is behind this? And some things are just memes that get started, and other things are, are deliberate. And they are pushed by sources. Now, sometimes we can't know, are those things pushed by sources within this country or are those th- are these things pushed by sources outside? Right. Either way, it is the intelligence of the American people that is the only real defense against propagandistic obstruction yes. to the real free exercise of our democracy. Everybody just has to have some healthy skepticism about everything you read.
2: Absolutely. And especially
3: on the internet. You know, on one hand... It's, it's, it's good for democracy, on one hand, that the social media allows for a greater array of voices. That part is true, that yes. we don't have the kind of old-fashioned gatekeepers we used to have, particularly since, given the the corporate ownership of so much of those gatekeepers, we they themselves too often cannot be deeply trusted. But on the other hand, even the most crazy voices can get can have can have the same look of the same seriousness right. and meaning uh, of uh, outlook as does responsible journalism, so really it comes down to american the American people.
2: Being, yeah.
3: exercising our actual intelligence and, and knowing that you have to hear things straight from the candidate, you have to read your most responsible news sources, and truly, truly, when it comes to politics, not believe everything
0: you hear. Well, I want to hit on what you were talking about regarding the intelligence of the American people and uh, hit on education here in one second. But just going back briefly, when it comes to the uh, lie campaign, let's just call it a lie campaign. It's not a schmear campaign. Uh, it's a lie campaign because you're not anti-vax you're not not anti-science Uh, Who do you think is really propagating this? Do you think this is something coming from other opponents or do you think this is something coming from mainstream establishment? Obviously, we watched you have qualified for the second debate, which will be on CNN, I believe, the 30th or the 31st of July, um, depending on which night you get drawn into. But the MSNBC debate, it did seem as if you and Andrew Yang, who I've also spoken with, it seemed as if they were sort of stifling your speech a little bit, not letting you get out uh, what you wanted to say. Where do you think these attacks are coming from? Do you think they're coming from mainstream media outlets or or uh, is it is it oppo- uh, opposition uh, research or what do you think?
3: Well, first of all, some of that you can't even know. And second of all, some of it is just the exercise of democracy. I mean, people get to have their opinion, and I think some people sincerely think I'm some wacko. And, you know, there is a term, um, contempt prior to investigation. Mm. I've always felt that when people actually hear me talk, go to my lectures, uh, read my books, I might not be their cup of tea. But I don't think people leave my talks or, or read my books and think I'm some nut lady, you know, right. uh, who, of, of less than, uh, you know, decent intelligence. But there is this way in our society today that people make prejudgments. And so a lot of it just has to do with personal projection and I yes I think there's a misogynistic element mm. people have their prejudgments about someone who uh for instance isn't part of the political establishment running for president how dare she right uh, and and all of that so some of it is just people get to think what they want to think right. on the other hand we have you know what i call the political media industrial complex which is where you get some obvious you know some media shutouts that I've had. On the other hand, something I've also learned from this process is that the media is not a monolith. There are a lot of responsible journalists in this country, too. And I I have found that a lot of journalists uh, who I have wished had me on earlier, uh, at least when they do have me on, uh, are more than willing uh, to be pleasantly surprised when I don't fit their... Prejudgmental stereotypes of someone who's just speaking from a cloud or something. Absolutely, so I'm not a victim here, uh, and I'm not, and, I, and I'm. Not, I don't want to play it like I am or sound like I am. Uh, this is not like there's some big conspiracy. It's it's a it's a conspiratorial aspect of everyone's mind. We all do mm. it. We we all have an ego mind. We all have a judgmental mind, right. and that same kind of judgmentalism plays out collectively as plays out individually. But once again. It doesn't matter where it comes from. It doesn't matter if it comes from the United States. It doesn't matter if it comes from Russia. It doesn't matter if it comes from from individuals on a certain level. Because what matters deeply is that when people are awake and people are thinking and people are bothering to educate themselves and people are really using their own critical thought processes, then we know BS when we hear it. And that's that's what matters. I mean, that's, that's ultimately the the only safety is the American people think for themselves. And when you think for yourself, you go, oh, I don't think that quite sounds right. Oh. That's the ultimate, the only answer to any of this.
0: I know it's a scary answer, but I agree. That's really uh, our best hope. So that really does play yeah. into education. And obviously, in this country, we have fallen. Speaking of science, math, we have fallen so far behind. In key areas of study, uh, critical thinking, as you were just talking about, what do we need to do in your mind to just overhaul, or if we have to overhaul, just to change our education system? It doesn't seem to be working too well from my perspective at this
3: point. Well, we have 11 states in this country that do not even require um, half a year of civics, American history, or governance education, and that is extremely dangerous. If as a child you don't learn what the Bill of Rights is, you don't know as an adult to be horrified when the Bill of Rights is under attack. So you have a lot of people, right. for instance, who in this country who have become very clear what the Second Amendment is, but they don't seem so clear about the First Amendment. They understand about right. the right to bear arms, but they, they're not nearly as concerned about the uh, the right of free speech and the right the freedom of the press and the yeah. freedom of religion and the the right of assembly and the right of peaceful protest. I mean, we, we need everybody to be educated about what this whole thing is about. Right. And I think, I think the fact that the play uh, Hamilton – has been so successful. To me, that proves that people do want to know. Yeah, and yeah. and they they do care. And I I feel right. that a very strong issue with all of this, as you saw in my CNN interview, is that there are far right. more decent, dignified, wonderful people in the United States than there are, you know, racists and bigots and homophobes and anti-Semites. The problem is that the racists and the bigots and the homophobes and the anti-Semites have become politically active over the last years, and they've become strategized and strategic, and they they receive at least indirect support, uh, at least dog whistle support, too often from nothing uh, less than the President of the United States. That is extremely, extremely dangerous.
2: Absolutely. When
3: hatred is shouting, it's not enough for love to whisper, and and that's why I... I hope that people feel about my campaign, that it's an act of of shouting out love from the rooftops. And it's not mysterious. What, what does the politics of love do? It's, it's not mysterious. You see a hungry child, you feed them. You see a child who's not educated, you educate them. You see a poor person who's struggling, working as hard as they can, but they're trapped by their circumstances, you help them. Right. You see a world which is too close to conflict and you know that there are ways to reduce that, you wage peace. You open your heart. You welcome the other. Love is fierce. Love is powerful. Love is wise. Love is nuts. You know, Martin Luther King said, Power without love is reckless and abusive. And love without power is sentimental and and anemic. We need both.
0: Well, it sounds to me as if it, that was almost a foreign policy speech in some ways regarding immigration and what we have to do uh, in these countries. Uh, you know, Ecuador, all of these countries where people are fleeing, uh, hence leading to the crisis on the southern border. Um you would I would assume you would you would uh, try to well actually I don't know would you how would you try to curb the flow from uh, the people fleeing their countries that are in total disarray? Uh, how would you try to to curb that? Would that be a financial solution or,
3: well, first of all, the, the issue should not be how to curb the flow, but how to respond to the flow. And some of, some of the response to the flow that we need at this time is to open our hearts to these people who are seeking asylum right. from countries where the horror and the violence is so great yeah. that they are willing to even walk across a desert with small children mm. in order to find a possibility of peace. My own, grandparents, uh, my own grandparents came here escaping pogroms in Russia, and nobody was asking how to curb the flow they they met a country here that was, was, was welcoming them and knowing that being open to the huddled masses yearning to breathe free was the whole point of this country Now, when you talk about U.S. foreign policy in places like uh, Central America, this is the issue for Americans to understand. Mm -hmm. What we have been doing for the last 40 years, and this is why I said to you earlier that the moral consequences come from an economic cause. Mm -hmm. We have, in both international as well as domestic policy, over the last 40 years, placed short-term profits... For American corporate interests before advocacy for people and for democracy. Right. And that has been as true in Latin America as it has been anywhere in the world. The Dalai Lama said to me that the people of the world do not see the United States as a champion of democracy. Now, that's what you and I were brought up to think we were. Right. I was brought up, I thought when politicians said that we were standing up for America's vital interests around the world, I thought that's what they meant, silly me. Mm-hmm. So you have, you know, huge oil companies, etc. Our government doing more to support oil companies being able to have contracts, uh, even at the expense of the rights of indigenous peoples and the land, the, right. the, the good of the land itself in places such as that. So – There are ways definitely that we can address this with huge humanitarian support and also the bolstering of the kind of of, of democratic institutions in such countries as that. It's not going to happen immediately. It it can't happen immediately. This stuff is so thick with corruption uh, pretty much in every every aspect. But I do, uh, in a Williamson presidency, commit that our entire foreign policy will be based and guided by – The idea, and this will be domestic policy as well as international policy, that the point of governmental policy should be to support in whatever way possible the capacity of people to thrive. Because when people are thriving, right. that's when life harmonizes. That's when life works out. When people thrive, there mm-hmm. is less war. When right. people thrive, there is more creativity. When people thrive, there is more productivity. When people thrive, there is less tension. This is, this is the evolutionary imperative, The economic imperative of the 21st century is the evolutionary imperative, and we should not be embarrassed to say that everything really would work out a whole lot better if we chose to love one another.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean I suppose it's always very – it's a difficult uphill battle uh, specifically in this – um, time where it seems as if we are more divided, would you say in your life experience, and obviously you've been fighting for love ever since 2000, well, I mean, I'm sure even before this, but uh, your first book, A Return to Love, uh, that was in 1992. So obviously you felt after the uh, the Reagan era, the George H.W. Bush years, That we were out of love. That we did not. That we have not uh, been embracing love enough as a country. This is why you got a little flack and some praise uh, at your most recent lecture slash uh, rally, um, where you asked white people to apologize to black people. Do you think that we just still have? So much healing to do as a country that we chose not to address. Maybe it was the 64, 65 uh, Voting Rights Act and Civil Rights Act, um, where it was sort of like this, hey, the government says we've moved on. But do you feel as if we as a people still need to to move on? Or do you think people are like over it and just like they want to move forward? And how do you how do you sort of balance those two things between focusing on the, the atrocities of the past and moving forward uh, as a country of one people?
3: Well, when it comes to race, it's like any other relationship. If you have had a big fight with someone, let's say your marriage is in trouble, there are probably many things you need to talk about. You might need to talk about infidelity. You might need to talk about disagreements about children. You might need to talk about somebody feeling they didn't get enough attention. You might need to talk about the finances. And when it comes to the area of race relations, it's similar. There are many different aspects. So, for instance, with the 1964 passage of the Civil Rights Act, Mm -hmm. it is true that we dismantled segregation. Right. With the 13th and the 14th Amendments, we had already abolished slavery. With the 1965 Voting Rights Act, we gave equal voting rights to black people. However, even that, <clears throat> since 2013, the John Roberts-led Supreme Court has started chipping away at the Voting Rights Act, which is why we have all these voter suppression efforts now throughout the country. Right. The one piece that we simply have never addressed on a fundamental level has to do with economic restitution or I should say the lack of economic restitution and the economic gap that that both which that both created and never ended. So when you look at the economic gap, at the obvious economic gap, I mean, you have one group of people, four to five million people, who were enslaved persons until the end of the Civil War. So obviously they had no money. And then when the uh, 40 acres and a mule was promised... Uh, to every former slave family of four, most of the time that was not given, and even when it was given, most of the time it was taken away. Hmm. Now, that was then followed by 100 years of further institutionalized uh, violence, and after that, we simply never, in a way, we never got around to it for many, many reasons. And so that gap has never been closed, and even in certain cases where... <clears throat> there has been an effort at the accumulation of black wealth. There have been the efforts by state governments and local governments to thwart that. Right. In many ways, we're now moving backwards, sliding backwards with such things as mass incarceration and racial disparity and criminal sentencing. Now, I don't think from a historical perspective... We have to go into, oh, it's never been so bad. No, it's been this bad. We had the civil war in this country. Right. So it's, not, yeah. like, it's <laughs> not like it's never been so terrible. What, what I think, though, is that we have never had a lack, and I think it's happening now, and I think my campaign is obviously part of this. It's not so much that we lack... Um, it's not so much that the problem is so big. It's that the response to the problem is not yet big enough. Right. And that's why I'm running. Because yes. we need to harness all the decency and the dignity and the love of people. a co- What Martin Luther King called a coalition of conscience. The issue in life, whether you're an individual or a collective, often is not what happened to you but who you are in the space of what happened to you. Who do you choose to be in response to what happened to you? Right. And that's what I feel is happening right now. Hate is, like I said before, hate is very loud right now. The issue is, are you, you, with your love, going to whisper, or are you, with your love, going to stand up tall and proud and do something?
0: Yeah. Well, I have to say, it's so nice to hear a candidate that is... Positive, um, as, a, uh, as a, you know, just someone who I, I just realized 1992 with um, the return to love. You know, you were talking about you know the the politics of love, the spirituality of love. Uh, meanwhile, Donald Trump, who is now president, was was paling around with Jeffrey Epstein. It just seems as if you are the polar opposite of Donald Trump, and. Um I mean I'm sure I would I don't know if you have any thoughts on that you know it just seems as if people now with the Epstein thing Obviously, it's so disgusting going all the way up to Alex Acosta, Donald Trump, all these political leaders. Do you think it's time for a fundamental change in leadership culture, in the culture of people who have power to say, you know what? Just because we have power, we're not going to do these disgusting, predatory, um, uh, you know, just nasty things because oh we can we can get away with it do we need a total transition of culture when it comes to the people in power
3: yes and my campaign represents that i have said often that i'm not prosecuting a case against donald trump i'm prosecuting a case against the system that produced him yeah absolutely Uh, because what you just said is right this a lot of this very nefarious stuff was happening before donald trump even got here and in that sense he's a symptom so Um, The answer to your question is absolutely yes. We cannot have just incremental fixes and have that really repair this country on the ways that we need to repair. Um, If that's all we do, then even if we were able to white knuckle it and beat Donald Trump somehow, then those forces would still be back in full force in 22 and in 24 and so we need that kind of fundamental change. Yeah. Now, when you mentioned before that I'm the exact opposite of Donald Trump, that is the point, right? You know, and I, I've had reporters say that. <clears throat> well, I say you're just the opposite of Donald Trump, and I said, yeah, you might want to think about that.
2: <laughs> you know, Donald Trump.
3: Donald Trump is not just a politician; he's a phenomenon, and yes. you can't beat a, a. He he will not be beaten by an inside politics game. Right. The only way to beat a phenomenon is with another phenomenon. And the phenomenon that will beat Donald Trump is an uprising of consciousness among the American people and speaking and inspiring and harnessing and articulating consciousness in a way that causes change within mainstream society is what I have done for 35 years.
0: Thank you so much for being on the show. And I have to say, uh, this quote does some sum up what you've been saying perfectly. This is a quote actually from Robert Todd Carroll of the Skeptics Dictionary. This is what he writes about Marianne Williamson. He says, Williamson might be called Oprah's patron saint. She's all about love and healing, yin and yang, being wounded and using love and prayer to heal all wounds. And I have to say, um, we need healing now uh, more than any time I can remember in this country in my 38 years of life. So thank you so much for presenting that as an option for the American people and and just giving yourself up to this political process, which... I know can be a colossal pain in the butt and people will lie and and say what they want to say. But uh, I just really appreciate you trying to be a little bit of light in this darkness. So thank you so much for being on the show, Marianne. We really appreciate it. Thank you so
3: much. I really appreciate it, honey. Much love to you.
0: Okay, there it was. That's Marianne. Uh, I, I wasn't lying, was I? She was really, she was wonderful. She's a wonderful person. And honestly, it was a it was a pain in the ass to set up the interview because we were traveling. She was traveling. So I do want to thank her and her team uh, for sticking with us. And we, we actually had, we had the call drop a couple of times. So a lot of other people would have just said, you know what, forget about it. And she's stuck with us. So thank you so much for that, Marianne. And uh, you know, thank you for participating in our democratic process. And honestly, there is no, she's doing zero harm at all. Yeah. And all she's trying to do is the message of love at this point. I'm like, you know what? Valid. It seems so common
1: sense, the politics of love and not it not just sort of like uh, being a career politician or somebody who actively like absorbs the hatred of, yes. of boomer white guys. Absolutely. Like, it just seems so. Don't forget common the white sensical. women. and the, Oh, yes. The boomer white women. And
0: and um, and uh, Diamond and Silk. I just got a tweet, by
1: the way, that uh, Trump is actively trying to get ASAP Rocky out of prison in Sweden.
0: Honestly, if he did that, I would have to approve. I, I, which is strange. That, I approve. I approve sometimes. You know, I approve sometimes. Um, My goodness. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you. We'll see everyone on the road here in the very near future. And don't forget my documentary, Hail Yourself, America. I'm going to go all around the country. I think we got a show in Milwaukee that I have some uh, details coming up. And I believe also in Minnesota. I have some details coming up on that. And I am excited to see everyone this Wednesday at Nighthawk Cinema uh of course that is july 24th at 7 p.m super super tiny showing it's only 50 seats um but i'm just excited to show it for the first time and then we'll go have some beers at skinny dennis so we'll have a nice time and uh all right everyone thanks so much for listening hail yourselves we'll talk to you soon this show is made possible by listeners like you thanks to our ad sponsors you can support our shows by
1: supporting them for more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.
0: Hey, Mom. First things first, thank you. It's my one-year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit CARON.org slash lost. When it comes to buying your first home,
1: everyone has questions.
2: Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do
1: I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers.
2: Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you.
1: REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated.